Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Have your Bibles, if you would, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Second Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read... Verses 1 through 3, if you would. The lineage of David was quite amazing. David is quite possibly one of the most beloved characters in the Bible that we read about. I think uh, a lot of us can relate in so many ways to David because uh, we find flaws and failures in his life. Yet we see that the Word of God tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't expect perfection out of you? Perfection. David's family was um, at sometimes a total disaster and total wreck. I just want to bring something I hope will help someone, maybe several today. There's a lot of voices in this world that will try to whisper into your ear and lure you away from God's word and God's truth. Philosophers, the Bible warns us of these things in the last days that we got to be careful not to follow after vain philosophies of men. You have to be careful. There's a lot of things out there that even seem to make sense, especially if you're looking for a way out, especially if you're looking to find an answer somewhere other than God's Word. If you're looking for it, the world will provide it. Your adversary will provide it. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. He loved his, his sister. I have a sister. I love my sister. My sister is uh, kind of cool. I, I just, I, I love my little sister. A lot of memories growing up with her. And Ab, Absalom had Tamar as his sister. And the Bible tells us he loved her with that brotherly love. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, Tamar. Okay, now it gets a little weird. For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Verse 3 is where I want to direct your attention today. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. I just want to preach, speak, maybe. I'm not sure if I'll preach today or how it will really turn out. I've just entitled this message, Friend or Foe. That's not a misspelled word up there. It's a little play on words. 
we hear friend or foe, F-O-E. We hear that terminology sometimes when there's a question. I specifically ask that it be spelled this way for the title of this message today because quite honestly, that's exactly what Jonadab was to Amnon. He was fake. He wasn't a real friend. See, the definition of foe, F-A-U-X, is not genuine, but fake or false. We need to be careful who our friends are. I hope that I'm a real friend to you. I hope that I'm able to help you. And in doing so, you know, I've had to warn people in the past. I think the Lord gave me something several years ago that has helped a few people, sometimes even me. Because there are times in life where a friend will look to be an enemy, and an enemy will seem to be a friend. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to let you be seated. There are times when friends, true friends, real friends, will look like they may be your enemy, and your enemies could seem to be your friends. And it's in those times I want you to be very aware of the Word of God. We need to be spiritually discerning. You may be seated today. God bless you. I'm a kid of the 80s, growing up in the 80s, late 70s and 80s. 80s was my high school days. And back then, there was a lot of neat stuff that was going on. Uh, I, I'm quite fond of the memories that I have of a lot of things that were back in those days. And it's kind of wild to think that that was 40-some years ago now, you know, the 80s. Uh, but time has marched on. And one of the things that uh, took place was there was a guy that uh, became quite famous in the realm of sailing. I'm not a sailor. I've never gone out really on big ships or boats, uh, you know, sailboats or anything like that. I've seen them. I, I think that they're amazing to look at. We've been in places where there have been a lot of sailboats in the harbors, and I just think they're a beautiful thing. But this particular man named Michael Plant, and he was known for setting the record for single-handedly circumnavigating the globe all by himself. No first mate, nobody to swab the deck. He, he was there by himself circumnavigating the globe and and is recognized as only one of five skippers to complete three solo laps of the goal, of the globe. Uh, that's a, a small category that he found himself in. And so in the early fall of 1992, he decided once again to take another trip, and he set out from the East Coast on a solo voyage across the Atlantic Ocean with plans to reach France. He purchased a sailboat, uh, with the best navigational equipment that money could buy, put on that sailboat, GPS system, and he christened that sailboat the Coyote, and with one press of a button, he could send a signal from that state-of-the-art GPS system to satellites, and he could be pinpointed no matter where he was at on the Atlantic Ocean, even out in the, in the far, far middle of the ocean, he could be pinpointed with, with great accuracy and be found 
if need be. That coyote was one of the most fail-safe vessels of its kind. I think we've heard that story before, and it ended in tragedy. Somebody made this statement, the Titanic is the ship that not even God himself could sink. Sometimes, um, sometimes we get a, a lesson in humility sometimes when we open our mouths on certain things. And God can remind us, you know, that uh, his ways are higher than our ways and that we still depend upon him. The voyage started off pretty good. First few days went well, but on the fourth day of his voyage, ground locators lost contact with his ship, and weather scans of the Atlantic showed that there were terrible, terrible storms that were blowing through the area that they had lost him in. And uh, so they sent out search and rescue squads trying to locate the coyote, but nobody could find them. They even reached out to the commercial airliners that were and asked them to help monitor their emergency channels in case plant was broadcasting a signal for help somewhere that possibly they might be able to pick it up and locate him. And so to no avail, they could not find him. But two weeks later, after his departure, a ship about 400 miles off of the Azores came upon the coyote floating upside down. If there's one position where a state-of-the-art locator, global positioning locator will not be of much use. It's when it's turned, flipped upside down. It's not going to work. And so they began to hoist the coyote up for a closer look, and they searched the cabin hoping to find Mr. Plant and maybe see the lifeboat was missing and possibly he might still be alive floating out on the Atlantic someplace, but the lifeboat was still in place. No sign of Mr. Plant. To this day, the body of Michael Plant has never been found. They began to uh, investigate what could have possibly been the cause for this, this accident, you see, because the boat that he was in, the, the sailboat, the Coyote, was not, was not meant to float upside down. It was never, it was never, it, matter of fact, it was built with a ballast in it, an 8,000-pound ballast that, sat down in the keel of that boat that even if by chance it got flipped upside down, that the weight of that 8,000-pound ballast would upright that ship and it could go on its merry way. Maybe damage, maybe some problems, but the weight underneath had been ripped off by some catastrophe, whether it had been a whale or maybe some sea debris, whatever it was, it ripped that 8,000-pound ballast that held that ship in an upright position through storms, and it was gone. That's why they found that ship turned upside down. You see, for a boat to have stability in a storm, there must be more weight beneath the waterline than above it. That's what the ballast was for, to keep it upright. Now, on a calm, normal day, maybe setting out on one of the strip cuts that are in the local area, that boat would be fine. Maybe on a day where the seas were nice and level and no problems with no winds and no waves, the boat without the ballast would have been fine, but 
That's not why the ballast was put on that ship. The ballast was put on that ship in order to protect it when it went through the tough storms that were coming its way. Without a ballast, a boat can look fine in the calm waters. But without the weight in its keel, the boat is unable to launch any further into the deep. And I tell you that story today just to say this. All of us need ballast in our life. Not balance, ballast. We need to have something that holds us when things get a little bit haywire. When storms begin to blow in and the problems of life begin to make their way into our life and begin to try to turn our life upside down. I'm not telling you today that you'll never have a storm that rocks your boat, maybe flips it upside down. What I'm saying today is that the character and the integrity that you have in serving the Lord is the ballast that will upright your ship when the things of this life turn it upside down. We have to have spiritual character and we have to have a relationship with God that has enough weight to it that it will hold us in times of trouble in an upright position. Absalom loved his fair sister whose name was Tamar. Tamar. Amnon, a half-brother of Tamar, also loved her, but he loved her differently than Absalom did. Absalom was her true brother. Amnon was a half-brother. The Bible says that he had a a lustful spirit towards his half-sister. Bible tells us Amnon had a voice in his life by the name of Jonadab. Amnon had a friend. See, Amnon was the firstborn king of, firstborn son of King David. By being the firstborn son, that made him the rightful heir to the throne. We know now that Solomon became the heir to the throne, but, but by right, Amnon was the next heir to the throne. He lived in the palace. He had everything that anyone could ever need. It was a great time in the life of the Israelite nation. He had the reputation of a royal. And with his family, he was admired by the masses. There was never a king loved like the king that David had become. His future was bright. His lineage was right. But behind the image that Amnon had put on for everybody everybody that was out there, including his own father and his own family, Amnon was a fraud. He had a deep, dark secret that he was unsuccessfully trying to deal with. He was consumed with a lust for his own half-sister. Now, he couldn't date her ask for her hand in marriage because that relationship was a forbidden relationship by God's law. But he had entertained the notion secretly enough that it occupied his thoughts day and night. He was lovesick. Lovesick. I happen to know what that feels like. I happen to know. I remember the days 
working on my grandfather's farm after I had just met Mrs. Rice, but she wasn't Mrs. Rice then. And I remember asking her for a picture, and I put that picture into my wallet, and I drove around on that tractor, and every once in a while, I would pull that wallet out and just take a look at that picture. And one time, my grandpa caught me doing that. He said, son, you better put that picture away. You're going to drive that tractor right into something, and we're going to have big trouble on this farm. And so I'd put it away half embarrassed, but not embarrassed enough, because as soon as my grandfather would go around the corner, I'd pull that picture out again. <laughs> she was just an hour away, but it seemed like a million miles away. If I wasn't by her side, I would love sick. I was smitten. My, my love was an okay love to have. See, because just in case you didn't know it, she's not my half-sister. <laughs> We're not blood-related at all. I could fall in love with her, and it would be okay with God. But Amnon had a sickness. He was dealing with a deep, dark lust for something that was untouchable to him. Kind of sad, really, that it seems like in our human fallen nature that we always want the thing that's forbidden, don't we? You can have everything. God gave him everything but one thing. He said, and of that tree you shall not eat. Why is it we're drawn like a bug to a flame to the one thing God says stay away from? the one thing that will destroy us, the one thing that will separate us from God's love. We are living in a fallen... We have to deal with that. We have to deal with that fallen nature. Oh, and it may not be something this devastating. Brother Jones talked a little bit about it this morning. You know, uh, there are times... Um, uh, Brother, Brother Fisher brought... <laughs> he, he brought a box of fresh, still warm Amish donuts to the work day about a month or so ago. He walked in with this big Cheshire grin on his face. I think he knew what was about to happen. Now, I, I love a good donut. I always have. But these donuts were like above good. They were like exceptional. They were like the, the donuts my grandma Lola used to make. Uh, Sister Roberta and Sister Benita uh, probably have tasted a couple of those. And, and so, so uh, he brought those in, and, and I looked at those, and I thought, nah, you know, I, I probably shouldn't, you know, sugar. I'll probably have a sugar crash. And I reached in, and, and I ate one, and, and I, it was so good. I was like, oh, my word. I mean, I, I thought, I can't, I can't eat another one. It's going to ruin my day, but I sure enough did. I went over there and ate another one and, uh, and put that one away. And then I was embarrassed because I thought, you know, there's other guys here. But when nobody was looking, I went over there and grabbed me a third one. And, and before it was over with, I, I saved one for, or one for my wife. I took a couple home with us that, that, uh, and, and I ate at least one more, uh, maybe two. But I'm just going to go with one for now. And sure enough, man, they, they weighed heavy on my belly for about three days. They were right there. They never left. I should have stayed away, but sometimes it's hard, Brother Charlie, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to stay away from the things that we know are going to be harmful for us, the things we, we shouldn't have or we shouldn't have too much of, and we just want what we want when we want it. 
Amnon was already well on his way to the cycle of sin. James 1, 14, 15 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. You see, long before there's a birth of a child, there's a conception. Lust is dangerous in the very beginning. We must deal with it in its young stages. We must deal with it early on. We must keep it out of our lives because when it, when it comes to, to, for time for that to be birthed, that lust will birth sin. And the Bible says when that is finished, it'll bring forth death. But Amnon thought, well, everything seems to be okay. Nobody really knows what's going on. I'm doing okay. Nobody knows. I, outwardly, I, I, I'm still putting on a good ruse. But inwardly, inwardly, he was dealing with some terrible things. He was already being unfaithful to his father, to his family, to himself, and to God. Now, just so we understand, he wasn't guilty of sin because he had struggles. Everybody has struggles in different areas of your life. That's a part of being human. But it was because he wasn't being honest about his struggles with God. Hear me today. If you think you can hide something from God, you got another thing coming. You may be able to hide things from another human being. You may be able to hide them from your boss. You may be able to hide them from your pastor. You may be able to hide them from your spouse, your family members, everybody's around. But you will never hide anything from God. Technically, he had not fallen into sin yet, but he was dangling above the pit by a very slender thread. All that was probably holding him back was his royal reputation. I can't do this. This is what my heart wants, my heart desires. I'm sick about this. But up to this point, he had not gone through with anything. And quite possibly... If that would have been the way that it would have ended and a little time would have gone by, quite possibly Tamar would have gained a couple of years and, and been married off and then been out of reach and he could have moved on and possibly Amnon might have been the next king of Israel. But the Bible says Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. This is where it gets real messy. Jonadab was the nephew of King David. He was also part of the royal family, but not in line for the kingship. He was never going to be king. The throne was never going to be his. Let me just say this. Beware of advice from friends that have nothing to lose by giving you bad advice. 
I've seen it over and over again. Well, if that were me, I'd do this. And I was thinking, uh, well, if that were you, you would not do that at all. But you can stand there and say that kind of stuff because there's no skin off your nose if it all goes haywire. Beware of people that give you advice in your life that do not care about the outcome of your future. He could say whatever he wanted to say. Like, oh, man, we're guys. Amnon, you know, you, don't you know who you are? And, you know, you, you can get away with this. You can do these things. You're, you're in line to be the next king. How dare anybody tell you differently? And under the influence of his friend, Amnon carried out this wicked plan to rape his own half-sister. Terrible thing to take place. He shamed her, shamed himself, shamed his father, shamed his family. Through his selfishness, he scarred this young half-sister for the rest of her life. But also he unwittingly, unknowingly destroyed himself because Absalom, her full brother, was still in the picture. And he found out about what happened. And even though the wheels took a little while to come to fruition, there came a day when what he had done was really literally signing his own death warrant because Absalom, even though he could move on and not show too much in the moment, never forgot the violation of his sister. Did not forget it. By listening to the advice of a fake friend, following the counsel of someone who was Familiar with the palace, but not part of the royal family, Amnon utterly destroyed his own future. Meanwhile, Jonadab walks away unscathed by the whole situation. The Bible records that he's still lurking around the palace when Amnon is killed by Absalom. In fact, who it is, who is it that, that brings the news to King David about Amnon's death? Look it up. Jonadab runs in. King, Uncle David, you're never going to believe what happened. When he is practically just as guilty as Amnon was. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts character. I'm telling you, be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you wrap your and intertwine your lives with. Be careful who's able to influence you and who you allow to speak words into your ear. Beware of people that will propel you in the wrong direction simply because that's what's going to make you happy in the moment. I remember being a kid 
I was one of the younger kids in the neighborhood. We had a neighborhood full of boys. And <clears throat> Paul was another kid about a year older than me. And we had about maybe nine or 10, 11 kids up at the school grounds. School wasn't going on. That's where we just went up to play. And we were just goofing off, enjoying being around each other. And all of a sudden, somebody had a bright idea. I think it'd be awesome if Doug and Paul fought. Like, I think that's a stupid idea. I don't want to fight Paul. Paul's my friend. But they just kept on. And then somebody said, I'll give, I'll give 50 cents just to watch him fight. Man, I was, I was WWE before. You know, I was, I, I don't know if I have to mark that down as being a paid professional fighter, you know, since I, I took money for it. Before, it was, I can still remember. $2.42 I made that day. I know that doesn't sound like much, but back in like 1977, that was a lot of money. You could go down to the place and get a jawbreaker for, for a nickel. I mean, yeah, now I'm sounding really old on back in my day. <laughs> I remember being that little that little store down the street and two guys were in there that were older than me and they were kidding around with each other. God was like, a nickel for a jawbreaker. His buddy looked over at him and he said, I'll break your jaw for free. <laughs> Just thought that was funny. We stood out there that day and allowed our so-called friends to talk us into Slugfest 77. And I, I never will forget how horrible I felt and how wrong it felt to stand there and punch my friend and I, I, I'll never forget I had him pinned down and I had him he couldn't move and, and I was on top of him and they were like hit him hit him I, I don't want to hit him but I did I hit him I punched him in the stomach and how terrible that felt you know what something dawned on me when I, I grew up a little bit you know those people weren't my friends at all they caused me to do something stupid, foolish. But I listened to so-called friends, and it practically destroyed a real friendship. Our music would come today. Do you know what a catalyst is? Catalyst. Catalyst is a substance that assists a chemical reaction without taking part in that reaction. Anybody ever tried to light a sugar cube on fire? <laughs> okay. And I, <laughs> I've done just about all of it. I remember going out and just grabbing all this stuff together. I had gasoline, flour. I mean, I was just trying to create something. I didn't know what it was, but it, it stunk, and it was probably very explosive, and I, I was just not smart enough to figure it out. And I just fiddled around with stuff like, you know, wonder what this will do, you know? <laughs> Next thing you know, you don't have any eyebrows. I mean, yeah. 
Hell, at least I don't have to pluck my eyebrows. I mean. Sugar cube, you can take a sugar cube and put a match to it, put a flame to it, a lighter to it, and it'll sit there and smolder and it'll bubble and it'll melt, but as soon as you remove the match or the flame, it, it goes out. But if you'll rub a small amount of ash on the cube, just a little bit of ash on that cube, it'll catch fire and it will burn steadily. The ash becomes the catalyst for the flame and it causes the sugar cube to burn completely up until it no longer exists while the ash remains unchanged. That's what Jonadab was to Amnon. He was a foe friend. He became the catalyst to the destruction of what could have and probably should have been the next king of Israel. He stepped in and he gave some horrible advice that caused Amnon's entire life to be destroyed while Jonadab just stepped away and watched him burn. Hear me today as we stand. you think about it for a few minutes, you can probably come up with some people that you know that have lived very destructive lifestyles, sinful habits. I watched a few videos, people that lives have been ruined and wrecked by all sorts of different vices. And somebody will interview them and say, where did it all start? Nine times out of ten, they'll say, well, I was with my friends and they offered me this, whatever it was. Well, what am I going to do? They're my friends. They wouldn't do anything that would hurt me, right? but they became the catalyst for the destruction of that person that's being interviewed. Where did it all go wrong? Why did you take the first drink? Well, I was with my friends and that's what they were doing. I knew it didn't feel right. It didn't even taste right. Somebody tell me, please, how we ever get addicted to cigarettes when the first time you ever take a puff on one, you nearly cough yourself into oblivion. You don't take that first puff and go, oh, wow, I like the way that feels down in my chest. No, you can't get it down before you're coughing it up.
When did you first start criticizing the church? Well, I'm sitting over at a friend's house one day, and they told me, you know what? I don't really understand why you, you feel like you have to do that or why you have to go to church so much or why you're, you're, you live that lifestyle. How, how come, when did, you, when did you start feeling like living a moral, holy lifestyle was, was no longer important to you? Well, I was with some people, and they began to help me understand something. no. No, you got to be able to determine who is real friends and who are fake friends. Friend or foe. A real friend will keep you close in your relationship with Jesus. They may, they may not have the answers for you. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for nearly 20 years now, and I've been assistant pastor before that and a youth pastor for the, before that, and I can tell you this much right now. I don't always have an answer for why you're going through the things that you may be going through. I'll sometimes sit there in just as much bewilderment as you are. I don't always have the answer, but I promise you this. I'm not going to put my arm around you and say, well, you know what? If I was you, I'd just curse God and die. God not, must not love us the way. No, I'm going to be a real friend to you and say, I don't understand it either, but all I know is I don't have to understand him to trust him. Hey, don't give up living for God. You continue serving him no matter what life throws your direction. You've got to have enough character and integrity and weight in your relationship with God because there are storms that are going to blow into your life that will leave you upended and when they do, you've got to have something in you that uprights you again and sends you on your way. That's why I appreciate the church so much. Man, I tell you what, those guys that show up on Tuesday morning that are able to be there, That means something to me. I know that's a bad time. A lot of working men, they can't get there. I'm not, I'm not down anybody that can't come. What I am saying is there has been a small group. And yes, there are times when I say, well, I, I wish the group was bigger. I wish we could figure something out to make the group bigger. But it is what it is. And those, those, those men that show up, there's something about that that causes me to be drawn closer to them and closer to God. And God just began to put some weight inside of me. And there have been some times where I have drawn, as I've gone through a storm, I've drawn from the power and the weight that has been placed in my life from one of those prayer meetings and the Spirit of God that made its way into that little room as we began to gather together and cry out to God and ask Him to touch us and ask Him to touch our families and ask Him to touch this church. I have real friends here. That's why I value you. And I value your walk with God. And I pray for you because I care. I don't want you, I don't want you drowning and lost when a storm that I know is going to blow into your life tips you upside down and upends your life because it's coming. It's coming. I wonder today if 
we could just gather in together and join as one body. I care about every single one of you, and I care about those that are not able to be here today. I care about you enough to try to be real with you, as real with you as I can possibly be. I'll be the first to stand here and say I'm not perfect. I'm not some great master orator, and I'm not some perfect pastor and I have struggles along the way just in my own humanity and doubts that sometimes creep up and things that bombard my life and I feel overwhelmed at times and I ask God, God isn't there somebody that's more capable to do this but God just keep putting me right back in the midst of all this and he said no, these are the things and the people that need you and more than that I believe God sees that I need them We need each other. But in order to be what God wants us to be, we have to be real with each other. We've got to be the type of friend that won't let another friend just drift off into the oblivion of sin and get lost in the storm. There's got to be some weight in our relationship. So I'm telling you today, when it's hard to pray, don't stop praying. And when time restraints cause you to wonder about, do you have time to read that word of God? Don't stop reading that word. You're gaining strength. You're putting more weight in the keel of your boat. Amen. There's the storms that are coming. There are problems that are around the corner for some of us. And we're going to need that character. We're going to need that integrity. And we're going to need that relationship with Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.